And now, New Galaxy Enterprises proudly presents Threshold Radio. This is Johnny Blue Star. Welcome to Threshold, a global media event. Is the universe just a random dance of atoms, or is it a manifestation of a supremely intelligent architect? Can its purpose, or our purpose here on Earth, be adequately assessed? Can we commune with it, know its intentions, cooperate with its direction? Here, we define threshold as a gateway state of awareness, allowing mankind to cross into a place of real cognition. Threshold allows us to approach questions of higher reality through the door of experience rather than mere belief. Welcome to Threshold, where we tear away the veil from commercial media, bringing our audience and participants into another realm of reality and enhanced communication. Have you had a longing to create an original book, screenplay, or other media project, but neither had the time nor expertise to do it? I'm Johnny Bluestar, and I founded New Galaxy Enterprises to help ambitious, busy, but highly creative people fulfill their goals to create poignant media projects. If you need help to accomplish your goals, visit NewGalaxyEnterprises.com or contact me at JohnnyBlueStar at gmail.com. Turn your vision into a dazzling media reality. Manifest your media dream today. Thank you for coming to Threshold. My name is Johnny Blue Star. Today's program recorded a few days ago. Hugo Rodier and I are going to talk about the North Korean missile crisis and America's response, largely influenced by President Trump's remarks. But before that, right now, I want to bring up a few points about his remarks about the attack in Charlottesville. But in keeping with these remarks and others, I want to bring up Threshold's approach to political commentary. You see, Threshold's mission is to approach political discussions from a spiritual direction, and key to this effort are the following perspectives. It is necessary, from Threshold's point of view, to attack the behavior and the policies and not the man or woman involved in the political matrix. From this perspective, everyone, no matter what their policies or actions are like, are held in consciousness as a child of God, perfect in every way. Therefore, I am presenting to my consciousness a portrait of Donald Trump as a responsible, conscience-driven human being with the best intentions for our country and for making our country great. This is quite difficult. Imagine you are having a fight with your brother-in-law over some kind of estate problem or your wife over her complaints about you watching baseball all day instead of cleaning up the garage. Are your interactions coming from a place where you can maintain an ideal image of your very annoyed and angry opponent, especially when you think you are entirely free from wrongdoing? My guess is that, generally speaking, even if you were trying to, quote, love your enemy while in this combative conflict, it is very, very difficult. The reality is that, for most people, it is almost impossible unless you are being mentored and guided by source consciousness. You can only get to source consciousness by crossing over the threshold from egoistic consciousness to the divine presence. To someone who has never experienced this connection, I can only say it is not entirely up to us. But you can make what the Buddhists might call a right effort. In other words, you can knock on the door, make attempts to raise your consciousness, do affirmations, make an effort to rise above your ego into a safer space. In this journey, it is sometimes more important to know you're not there in reality than to pretend to yourself that you have succeeded in obtaining high consciousness. The exercise I am speaking of, trying to love your opponent in the midst of a conflict, is almost impossible, but I believe well worth trying if you agree with the philosophy. It is important to realize that to do this very well, you need a state of consciousness that perhaps you do not have yet. Still, efforts in this direction could bring you closer to the threshold. As long as you do not deceive yourself, or even worse, believe it or not, try to push away your negativity through your will. You cannot kill your ego by an act of will. And so... In trying to love your enemy, it is sometimes better to live with your negativity during this process to a smaller or larger degree. This is a tricky and perhaps dangerous juggling act, but no one should think that grappling with the objective of gaining access to the divine presence is easy, nor once you are partially there, that you are completely free. And ultimately, it is not totally up to you. The universe can reach out to you as well as you are reaching out to the universe. This is what is called initiation. Having said all this, I will now take a few steps forward and step into the mirage of recent news. 
It is interesting to see how the media reacted to Trump's reaction to the racial violence in Charlottesville. CNN and NBC were quick to jump immediately on the president's refusal to condemn specifically the neo-Nazis, Ku Klux Klan, and other white supremacists, focusing mainly on the violence of both sides, which he enumerated more clearly on another statement a few days later. Between the two statements, the latter including direct condemnation of hate groups like the Klan and the neo-Nazis, Trump was crucified by the press, various members of Congress, and his manufacturing advisory board, from which he lost four CEOs to date, some of whom exited after his second statement. As far as I can see, the press ignored the legitimacy of his contention that the anti-hate groups came prepared to violently attack the hate groups and those actions were worthy of condemnation. Well, personally, I do not know if these anti-hate participants, who did not have a license to be there, did initiate the violence or not. Invading space to protest is not anti-American because that is often what protesters do, and although it can be an act of civil disobedience, it is not necessarily wrong. But in my opinion, to attack hate groups like this in a vigilante way is probably not the best thing to do. And authorities should do everything to prevent this, and so should our rhetoric. This is, different. this is a different story, though, if people are defending themselves from violence. There are many things that bother me about this event. As someone who was brought up Jewish and whose relatives died in Polish concentration camps in the Warsaw Ghetto, you might guess that I oppose hate groups, and that would be right. Still, although this event is significant, does it deserve to be the total focus of news coverage when we are faced with a global nuclear catastrophe of immeasurable proportions? The news media has chosen to de-escalate the coverage of North Korea and other matters, and believe precisely because they could use the high emotions of this event to de denounce Trump's lack of action to distance himself from the hate groups in the way that they wish. This incident, despite its tragic circumstances, is a minute fragment of the president's actual and unambiguous attack on various types of minorities, including the travel ban from six Muslim countries and the strange aggressive cruelty of his deportation policies. The suspension of immigration for re refugees coupled with the so-called travel ban can cost hundreds of lives. Similarly, he has escalated drone strikes in support of the Saudis who are literally devastating Yemen by destroying their water infrastructure and causing a cholera epidemic. The death of civilians in our various military excursions in other countries is accelerated. Further, this is the week he is thinking of pardoning Sheriff Arpaio, whose indiscretions, which surround his profiling of Hispanics and his treatment of prisoners, has made him become the person who has become emblematic as a symbol of ethnic discrimination. This is all happening while Trump's rhetoric seems to be accelerating a possible nuclear confrontation with North Korea. Despite these many testimonials to Trump's biases, I plan on holding him in my prayers and seeing his transformation. But should we protest all these areas of concern? Yes, we should. If we ever want to have a safe planet, indeed, considering our attachment to nuclear weapons, if we want to have a planet at all. We're back on Threshold Radio with Dr. Hugo Rodier, MD, and we are discussing some general aspects of today's news, and this last week has been very interesting. I'm calling this show Fire and Fury and U.S. Diplomacy. Well, the first thing I'd like to begin with is a little statement from our president. Hear it right now. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. He has been very threatening uh, beyond a normal statement. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. Thank you. How did that affect you when you first heard it? Well, it's a hyperbolic speech that we see in kindergartens and school bullies. Hardly the speech that should come from a president. You can say the same thing without so much hyperbole. So whenever I hear hyperbole, you know, superlatives, I just think it's someone who's not measured and uh, someone who's not polished enough to for public discourse. That's just the bottom line for me. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, it's really interesting because I, I just recently heard some of the past um, proclamations from North Korea, which have been very consistently like other things that they're doing right now. 
they haven't really, I mean, they've been threatening to blow up our cities recently, but they don't have the ability to do a lot of the things that in the past they've been claiming to do. And now certain things have come out, which we'll discuss in a minute, that perhaps provoked the president to say such things. But let me just play another aspect of this story, since that fire and fury comment was followed by some other things. Within a few hours, North Korea responding with its own warning, saying it is seriously considering a plan to target Guam with missiles. The U.S. territory, home to crucial military bases and 160,000 Americans, is just 2,000 miles away. Then today, Rex Tillerson sending a message of his own, landing in Guam, offering very different words. I think Americans should sleep well at night. The Secretary of State striking a much softer tone. What the president was doing is sending a strong message to North Korea in language that Kim Jong-un would understand because he doesn't seem to understand diplomatic language. Then the president himself weighed in, tweeting, our nuclear arsenal is now far stronger and more powerful than ever before. Hopefully we will never have to use this power. But his initial words have sparked international reaction. Well, uh, he didn't give up, right? He he, uh, retorted in a similar way. I think it's really interesting because Apparently, in his first expression, he never planned, he never talked to anybody about it. He just decided while he was uh, having dinner at his golf course that he would go ahead and uh, sort of threaten them. Uh, Jet, totally off the cuff, and here, go, here goes mano a mano with another mentally ill person. <laughs> you know, I, I got to tell you, this is in parentheses. We'll get back to this North Korea thing, but the American Psychiatric Association put out a bulletin reminding doctors that it's unethical to diagnose someone who we haven't met, who's not, who has not become a patient of ours. And so why is the American Psychiatric Association putting out that bulletin? Because the overwhelming majority of doctors are diagnosing Mr. Trump as mentally ill. And so the, the Psychiatric Association and putting out that statement and between the lines is telling you what's going on. And uh, as a doctor, I will stick to that advice because it is true. We should not diagnose someone we haven't met. But <laughs> I agree with most doctors. Let's just leave it at that. Well, I don't think in order to say somebody is uh, violating certain diplomatic rules in, uh, in conventional diplomacy anyway, is, is, I think that's fair. Yes, uh, so that's why I venture say what I did. Um, these are two disturbed individuals that don't know how, don't have any social skills because they didn't need to develop them, being born with a silver spoon in their mouth. And I think uh, nothing will come of it. I, I'm so glad Tillerson is there. He's so measured. And I agree with uh, his statement that Guam has nothing to worry about. I was just looking this up. It turns out that 35% of Americans agree with me that this is just a, a lot of sable rattling from two disturbed individuals and nothing will come of it. It is true that the other two thirds agree with you that we should worry about it. Well, I don't know. Did I say that? Well, you were saying that last week that uh, this is very serious and and here we go, you know, uh, that uh, this could escalate quickly. I, I don't well, think Well, so. it, it, it's true that I think that there is a possibility. For one thing, you just have to think about what happened in Syria when, uh, when uh, he basically attacked a Syrian airbase. Now, he attacked that airbase based on, in almost one day, while before the United Nations actually met to discuss it, he, he decided that it was a clear and present danger to the United States, which is the only way he can really give an order like that and um, attacked their, their, their base with, that had Russian, uh, you know, Russian planes there and so forth. And he did that because, uh, you know, he, apparently he was moved by the fact that there were a few children who might have been killed by that sarin attack without really, in my, in my view, really proving that uh, the Assad regime had done that in the first place. I'm still not convinced because here's the problem is that a lot of times we're getting proof from people who have read or had been communicated about intelligence reports that we never see and that we never can prove anyway. There's no way of proving some of these things. But the point is, he did attack them. And uh, now he's talking about killing possibly hundreds of thousands of people. So I yes. think, 
So I think that's interesting. It is. And, and that point you bring up sort of underscores what we both said. On one hand, he's totally unpredictable, acting rashly without the advice of so many people around him. And number two, we don't know what's going on. As you said, with these affairs, you know, we, we come to find out 20 years later when somebody writes a book what was really going on. So as far as the Syria and the gassing and uh, North Korea and its ability to strike, I don't think we're hearing the whole truth. And what we end up hearing is the drums of war because that's what we do. We, we love to start wars, pick on people, and then the industrial military complex benefits from all that and we end up paying the bill. Well, one of, one of the things about this, this is good that we got, got into this part because this was provoked, I guess, primarily by the claim that, there, that North Korea had miniaturized nuclear devices and could put them on their missiles. But this particular report was a, a, from an American intelligence agency that had basically quoted from a Japanese intelligence agency's report, as I understand it. The fact is, there was only, uh, unlike other sort of reports that you might get from intelligence agencies, this was only vetted by one, one agency, and they didn't explain it very well. Now, that's what I've heard. I haven't really studied this, but uh, this is typical of what I see going on in this country, where we're trying to, where the public is being kind of manipulated by people who just happen to believe in certain reports. Now, the president has sort of stood against that. In other words, he said, well, that this Russian intelligence, these reports about the Russian uh, efforts to interfere with our electioneering is fraudulent. And then a lot of people, most of the people in Congress apparently believe that it isn't fraudulent and that uh, definitely the uh, Russians have interfered. But I don't have any proof of it. Do, That's do you, a great do, point. You know, I think uh, that let's just assume it is true that the Russians are interfering. Would you know what? They're doing exactly what the United States has been doing for decades to other countries, including allies. In spades, right? In spades. So it's so hypocritical. That's assuming that it, indeed the Russians have hacked this and that. Well, okay, <laughs> paybacks are, you know what they are. Anyway, it's highly hypocrit hypocritical. Yeah, it's uh, paying, back, paying back them for what we do ourselves. And we have definitely overturned more regimes and caused more problems for different countries than, than they have in terms of elections. Exactly. I, mean, I, I mean, that's, that's right. really clear to me. I don't, I, um, you know, I think it's, it's worth pursuing, but it just, sure. I, but the, the, the thing that's most laughable about it, and I, I said this in a blog that I was writing, is that the information that was revealed, uh, particularly the information about the Democratic National Committee, which caused the chairman to resign and four or five other people, uh, was basically about how they suppressed the vote for, uh, they suppressed the uh, activity or the electioneering in favor of Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders was the, was, was the one person who, compared to Hillary Clinton, by polls, could have beaten Trump. Here's a remarkable song by Zave Nathan and Bonnie Blazak called Change. This is Johnny Bluestar, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. 
One of the most exciting projects I've regularly been involved in is the creation of nonfiction books, often collaborating with new authors on a wide variety of topics, either through editing or through writing, sometimes being guided by the client's direction or collaborating directly with the client. In this capacity, I've worked on a book on abolishing the caste system in India, a system of selling with integrity and sensitivity towards client and product, several fascinating memoirs, one with a Korean war veteran and crime fighter, another with one of the greatest ventriloquists and television producers in the 50s and 60s. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com and fill out the contact form. Did you want to talk about healthcare now? Well, go ahead. Well, Meet the Press last Sunday was very interesting. The host um, had Tom Price, the Secretary of uh, uh, Health, the Health Secretary on. And the reporter, point blank, asked the question that I've been talking about. So, Mr. Secretary, here we are talking about how to finance a broken system. Why don't we talk about financing a broken system? Do you think the system is broken? Tom Price responded, no. No, the only thing that's broken is how we pay for it. And he goes on and on about the same boring thing, ACA, (laughs) prompt care, this and that. You know, it's just like going to a used car lot and wanting to finance one of the cars you're looking at. the, 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 The salesman tells you, well, it's broken. It doesn't go very well. But let's just talk about how to finance it and see if you can take it home. But it's broken. It's the same thing. We never talk about how to. Fix the system, make it less expensive, get rid of 85% of the things that are totally unnecessary, according to a very good report by, report, uh, by Business Week, the magazine. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing is, there, there's a couple of things that are really dangerous that, that, I, that I was writing about recently, and, and that is why people vote along party lines. One of them is that they have been sort of conditioned from birth to vote in a way that their parents do, or they particularly hang on to a a particularly kind of platform or ideology that they suppose the Republicans and the Democrats have. But mostly, I think it's kind of an illusion. Like, for instance, that, uh, you know, the Republicans are the the party of big business and the Democrats are not. Ha! That's a laugh. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I I quit the partisan thing a long time ago. I'm neither a Democrat nor a Republican. And I mean, in order to, in some states, in order to vote, you have to be uh, one or the other, and I intend to vote for someone. So I would probably be, be that way, but I don't buy the party line. I mean, last time I did vote in the primaries, and I'm glad I did, even though my candidate lost. But um, I just wanted to do it. I don't agree. I, the, the actual party platform was probably improved by Sanders. But still, in all, it, didn't, it wasn't actuated at all. And you you have a you have a basically two war-monging parties. You have two parties that are that are helping create these wars. And they may be focusing a little. I mean, Trump is focusing on whatever he can right now in terms of war. But he ran on a ticket that was basically no. I'm not going to get in, get caught up in these uh, foreign entanglements anymore. And it looks like he's getting he's he's buying into almost everything. Even oh, it looks even, like he's enjoying it. <laughs> yes, he's and he's increased the drone strikes, the number of civilians killed every day in these various places all over the world. The infrastructure he's giving money to the to the Saudis, and now Yemen is just experiencing this horrible cholera plague. Plus, their in, because their infrastructure, their water infrastructure has been has been destroyed, similar to what happened in Iraq. Okay, so, you know, on the one hand, people are voting on party lines. The other reason that they, they might vote in a specific way is by, by virtue of transference. I don't want to get too much into the psychiatry, but we're not really talking about a psychotic condition here. We're talking about a very normal condition of a person transferring his authority to an institution or to a person particularly. And I think that's what's happened with Trump because it's, it's, we already talked about the health benefit problem. Problems, but what about the environmental problems, or or the problems uh, with with voting for somebody who doesn't really believe in unions, who doesn't really believe in protecting people? He wants to give them jobs, but does he really? He doesn't want to increase the minimum wage. There, it's basically a very pro business. It's it is nice that he's going to bring jobs to the country, but what kind of jobs are they going to be? Right? Are they going to be stripped of all of all re- reasonable benefits of pensions and all this other thing? 
because he's going to make them into kind of, you know, he's not going to probably bring back the 50s type of thing in manufacturing, but he may bring back manufacturing. But it, it may not have the kind of value that it did back then. I think a lot of it hinges on state of mind, and I, I'm, I have serious reservations. It's concerning that he's not releasing his medical records. I think they would not be flattering. And so all these things, you know, turn out to appeal to people who are beginning to think that a college education is a bad thing. Did you see the poll that was released saying that people who uh, voted for Trump feel that uh, two thirds of them feel that college is a hindrance, is a bad thing in our society? Well, I didn't see that poll, but I know that most of the that one of the big segments that vote for him are white white men who have not had a college education. And I mean, he's obviously, and this is another thing why people are voting for him. He's working on the um, he's working on the theme of hating other people, and and this is one thing that some people have said. Okay, the the way that you are able to create real division in a country is by distracting people from what they what they need and getting them to identify with a cause or something that they really feel passionately about, like not liking black people or Native Americans or Chinese people or people from Mexico and so forth. You see what I mean? Exactly. It, it's a historical fact. You know, it happens in every culture, every every stage of history, and here we go again. It's just like we never learn. Divide and conquer. Well, another aspect of this is that there is so much sort of misinformation that is coming out of the White House, continual misinformation. Fact, in other words, things are coming out that are, that are not fact-based or they, they sort of create a policy and then they change it. And it doesn't seem to be really like it. It's, it's, it's just very unusual. I'm not saying that I'm so happy about any other administration because I frankly am not. But usually they make more of an effort to disguise their misdirection of facts, wouldn't you say? Yes, I think the main problem there is it's just a lot of amateurs because for the most part, he surrounded himself with non-politicians and there's virtue in that. But at the same time, you have to have some kind of, some, some people who know the ropes a little bit. And he does have them too, but most of them seem to be amateurs, like his own family. As nice as they might be, as intelligent as it might be, they have no experience. So a whole lot of the things we're seeing, I think it's just uh, people not knowing the ropes, how to do it right. Well, you know, let's talk about some of the things we like about Trump. Yeah, let's do. First thing that I would bring up is I did like the fact that he he, uh, he did cancel the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I don't really believe these are free trade agreements at all. They're basically giving away our jobs without any kind of protection. And that has not been the historical bent of the United States. I don't think it should be excessive. I think we should have, have trade with other countries, but we have to balance our own self-interest against others. And so I was glad he did that. What do you think? Yes, absolutely. I like to discuss and read about economics. And the, the whole thing started with Perot warning us about this big sucking, giant sucking sound and exact, it's exactly what happened and it needs to change. Also, like Trump, that he's funny. He he has a sense of humor. He, as a showman, he's very relaxed in front of the cameras. And I wish he'd use that for good like Reagan did and sort of temper what he says. But no, he, he goes to a place where he takes over the show and regardless of uh, the feedback he's getting from the audience. But uh, I still think he's, he's funny. Yeah, I think he is. Uh but here's another thing that I, I've noticed. Um, this is about why people vote for, certain people vote for other people. I think this is the, the power behind the Republican Party. Because I think that they're mostly the senators and people in the House, not always, but they're, these people are pretty well healed. They're kind of wealthy and they're kind of, you know, talking about free trade and free enterprise and all this. But basically... I think people identify with that. I think even extremely poor people identify with the idea that they can become wealthy and successful. And uh, that's why, and, and they buy particularly into the idea that these are the people who are 
creating jobs like out of the tax cuts. I think that's kind of an illusion. Yes, that's the main message of populism. You know, here you have been downtrodden for so long. Now you're going to come up to the table and share the spoils. And this is a noble sentiment, but it has to be done in different ways, not just uh, with rhetoric and and appealing to the lower denominators of, of our psyches. As you said, hatred and disenfranchising others, uh, quick riches, materialism, um, it just doesn't work. Well, you know, one of the things about it is that I noticed like his, wi- his wife is wearing a jacket that's like, you know, $65,000 or a dress that's $150,000. And you would think that people who were following him might be a little bit concerned or that he's taking he's doing all these golfing expeditions and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on security even when his when uh, Ivanka and uh, her husband go off to uh, Vale um they're 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 protected by the secret service and uh, you would think that these things which are so far beyond the ordinary person and which are really taking you know uh you know are are, are more or less sort of exhibitions of somebody's wealth and power would bother them, but it doesn't, does it? No, it doesn't. I think it's because the movement has become sort of a quasi-religious movement where you have to buy in by faith, not reason. And once you do that, everything is colored the way you wanted, and anything that's jarring to that image or contradicting that image is said to be uh, false, fake news, or not important, or an attack on on their ideology so if it's really well with uh this idea that movements like this are fueled by faith more than reason yes i think that's true and but it is it seems like if you're free of those of that kind of prejudice and you're looking at what really is happening uh, you really have a a large problem because you realize that we're, we are actually are being taken hostage by this kind of hero worship. Exactly. I don't think it's going to last, frankly, Johnny. I, I, I've been listening to some futurologists, if you will, and they may well be totally wrong. But, uh, hey, you know, the, a lot of people are saying he's, he's not going to last either. He'll, he'll retire. He'll, he'll be impeached. Yeah, I, I agree that, uh, of course, he could do a substantial damage before that happens. Yeah, true. I think but, that, you know, I tell, I tell the guy who cuts my hair all the time, this is highly entertaining. It just, every day there's something. And uh, I just chuckle, you know, instead of getting bogged down in it and depressed about it, I what, what what are we going to do? We talk about it, fine, but I think we have to take it with a grain of salt and be entertained by it, laugh about it. It's well, you know, a joke. In Ken Ede's book, The Involuntary Spy, Seth Rogen, a scientist, after having discovered a major deception created by a multi-billion dollar worldwide agribusiness giant that he works for, is driven by his conscience to release the information to the public at the peril of his reputation, career, and life itself. To do this, he must take refuge in Moscow. Here is an excerpt. Chapter 4 Yuri helped Seth settle into the safe house in Moscow. Tomorrow night, he would take the nine-hour flight to the Far East. From the apartment, he could see the colorful and distinctive towers of St. Basil's Cathedral from his window, and the glittering gold onion domes of the Church of Annunciation in the Kremlin. This was the Kremlin he had seen so many times on television. Back then, during the Cold War, it had represented the seat of the Empire of Evil. Now, it was oddly beautiful. The American press was already doing damage control on Seth's report to Russia today. The president called it propaganda, and said that the United States was against the manufacture of biological weapons. Spokesmen from the company said that Seth's report to RT should be disregarded as the words of a traitor and a thief. Because of his fleeing the country, Seth's story was discredited in every mainstream media report. Okay, your name now is George Amers, said Yuri, smiling, holding out documents. Here is new passport. I'm Canadian? Yes. Does that mean I have to say A all the time? Seth, Russians don't care what you say. But don't talk to people. 
don't talk to people. And don't go anywhere, just to work and back home. Sounds boring. Isn't that what you guys do in America anyway? Well, yeah. Okay, don't make friends. If you want a girl, we get you girl. That sucks. Look, it's only for six months. Then you can do what you want. If you see anything suspicious, call me. Six months, eh? Yes, six months. Oh, and shave mustache and color hair. What? You prefer shave head and color mustache? No, no, that's okay. I'll take the hair color. And we fix nose. What's wrong with my nose? Nose too big. It's not. We fix anyway. Okay, let me see if I've got it. Don't go anywhere. Don't make friends. Sleep with prostitutes that you send to me and wear a disguise. Yes, you are smart. Don't forget to use lenses I gave you for eyes. And what? Lose some weight. Seth worked on his disguise with the materials Yuri had left in the safe house. He said a fond farewell to the mustache that had been with him since high school and picked a dark brown color to mask his light brown hair. With the contacts in, his eyes changed from green to brown. He didn't even recognize himself. The surface disguise was the easy part. Being George Amers would be the true disguise to master. In my life, I mean, I, I don't know if I told you this. I know you know we know a lot about each other to some extent at this point, but I was born on the day the atomic bomb was exploded. And my father was a captain in the Air Force, and they gave him a little pin for me, a little captain's pin, and they made him a captain. He wasn't in, a, he, he was a judge advocate. But the point is, is that I've always been around, I've always been very conscious of, of atomic weaponry, you know, since I, you know, even in, probably at least in junior high, maybe before. And this thing about destroying a country, this is the thing that has kept me up at night. Uh, it just, it's not so much I'm afraid for what's happening here, at least at this point, but I am afraid for thousands. These people are, if we're talking about Trump's followers being programmed, <laughs> these people in North Korea are super programmed. <laughs> yes. They are totally, they are totally bewitched. And uh, I, I still feel tremendous compassion for them because they have never They've, they've been born into a situation where it's not that their parents have been, you know, Republicans and Democrats. They're born into a situation where they have these giant statues and pictures of these people, and they practically worship them as gods. And they, they, they're deprived of real interaction with the outer world. So I do feel sorry for them, and I certainly feel sorry for, you know, all the innocent people who would be killed by this. And, and, and also... The other point is, and I think this is something else we should discuss, if there were actually some kind of an incident with nuclear weapons, think about how many people would die in South Korea, too. Exactly. It's just the same as we read in history over and over. It's the, the, the leaders, the despots, the tyrants, and the people just cannon fodder. And, and to a certain degree... The people of the United States, we fit in the same picture. You know, who wants war in the United States? Very few people, except for those who profit from it. And so in many ways, we're caught up in the same thing, you know, watching these uh, unstable people talk to each other. I'm, I'm, I'm quoting from a, a short, uh, just a short amount of this uh, CNN article. It's called, How the U.S. Would Strike First Against North Korea. It starts out, this is by Zachary Cohn, it's a no-win situation that can only be imagined by U.S. military officials tasked with preparing for a worst-case scenario, conducting a preemptive strike on North Korea. With little time to evacuate, millions of innocent citizens would be caught in the crossfire if the U.S. and regional allies would initiate a first strike. That would almost certainly result in high casualties on both sides. So this isn't even really talking about a nuclear attack, at least in the beginning of the article. But if there were a nuclear attack, how could they keep, how could they protect the people of Seoul, one of the most highly populated areas in the world? I mean, and all the other, who knows what would happen and who knows where these missiles would affect or even explosions right near the border. 
where all the artillery is, where all his stupid artillery is, you know? Well, the bothersome thing is that this is what uh, Trump is referring to when he says the fire and fury, the likes of which the world has never seen. If we analyze the language, that means something worse than Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? Mm -hmm. So you're right about that. So I'm just hoping that Tillerson's attitude and well-behaved manners will will win the day because he always trails Trump's statements by trying to soften them up and 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 emphasizing that we're still pursuing the, the diplomacy. So he seems like a good man, Tillerson. I I like what he said, but he did defend Trump's what he, you know the the whole line even though he wasn't belligerent. The whole line is that well the president was trying to talk in words that uh, that Kim would understand, right? Right. But, and the next thing that Kim did within a few hours was was threaten to send four intercontinental missiles to Guam. <laughs> you know, I really think that Tillerson and Trump are playing good cop, bad cop. And hopefully that's all it is. <laughs> but uh, it makes perfect sense for Tillerson to modulate his boss's words. But at the same time, you know, throwing a more benign approach. So I, I'm thinking this is a good cop, bad cop thing. Well, I, I know. I've thought that too. I'm not sure if it is or not. But you see, the thing is, if you're a good cop, bad cop, you plan your scenarios a little bit. You have, you, so when he released what he said about the fury and the fire, and then <laughs> it, 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 it is, um, you can't take it back. I mean, yes. you can't soften that too much. The yeah. first, I understand that the first hydrogen bomb explosion, thermonuclear bomb explosion in North Korea was twice the size of Hiroshima. And the weapons that we have surrounding him, each of these, tri there are three Trident submarines, and I believe that each of them can kill four, approximately 140 million people because they have a whole bunch of different missiles on them. And I mean, yeah, you could, they could blow up the whole country, of course, easily. They don't need 10 missiles to do it. Because right. these thermonuclear, some of them are like 50, I think 100 times or more. Hiroshima, why would anybody, that's a good point to get into here. What the hell are we doing? <laughs> this mutually assured destruction, how insane that is. I don't understand why people don't get it. I mean, I, I realize that in the last 20 years or so, maybe going almost as far back as the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was a long time ago, there hasn't been a lot of talk about what these weapons are like, particularly in the last 20 years. At one point, they were testing all the... Remember when they were testing these weapons? You know, the, the uh, atomic bombs and hydrogen bombs all the time until they stopped? Yes, I remember. Uh -huh. they, stopped, they stopped in, I think, uh, 1992 or something. A long time ago. But... People don't have in mind that this planet can be uh, nuclear winterized in a very short amount of time, in a couple of hours. And that is, uh, that's extremely disturbing, I would, I would think. Well, I think that most people know that it's just that they're helpless. There's nothing they can do about it. So we have to look to our leaders. And unfortunately, we're talking about two unstable people with mental problems. Yeah. Let's listen to this real news segment about the dangers of nuclear war. Ira, you mentioned the dangers of nuclear weapons, so I'm wondering if you could walk us through some scenarios that concern you most, both based on what's happened in the past and what you fear might happen in the future. Well, I think there are two basic scenarios that, that are, are driving this process forward. One is the concern of a large-scale nuclear war between the United States and Russia. And you know, for many years, we were told we didn't need to worry about this. The U.S. and Russia were, were friends. It was irrational to think they would ever fight a nuclear war. But in the last few years, we have seen this is simply not true. There is a real tension between the United States and Russia. Uh, there are a number of particular flashpoints, Syria, Ukraine, that could lead to armed conflict between these two countries. And in the event that the U.S. and Russia go to war uh, and use their nuclear weapons, uh, hundreds of millions of people will die in the first 30 minutes as direct effect of the explosions, the fires, the radiation. All the great cities in the United States and in Russia will be leveled within a half an hour. But beyond that, what we now know 
is that there will also be worldwide climate disruption of an extraordinary degree. Um, this is called nuclear winter. Uh, temperatures will plunge across the planet uh, by as much as 14 to 15 degrees Fahrenheit on average across the whole planet. In the interior regions of North America and Eurasia, the temperatures will drop by as much as 45 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And under these conditions, basically all the ecosystems which have evolved in these temperate zones will collapse, food production will stop completely, and the vast majority of the human race will starve to death. So that's one scenario, and, and, and I cannot emphasize enough, this is not something which is outside the realm of possibility by any means. Even if the United States and Russia don't actually go to war by design, we know of at least six occasions during the nuclear weapons era so far when either Moscow or Washington prepared to launch its nuclear weapons in the mistaken belief that the other side had already done so. And that kind of accidental nuclear war is certainly something which could take place at any moment. We have seen the vulnerability of computer systems and we know how they make mistakes. We also know how people can hack into computer systems. And one of the great concerns that people have today is that terrorists will launch an attack, not by bringing a small nuclear weapon into New York or Moscow, but by launching a cyber attack that gets Russia or the United States to attack the other side. So this is an enormous and real threat and one that we live with every day until we get rid of these weapons. But in addition, we've also found in just the last decade that even a very limited nuclear war, the kind of war that might take place between India and Pakistan, would also cause enough worldwide climate disruption to provoke a global famine that could put up to 2 billion people at risk. This is not the extinction of our species as might follow from a US-Russia war, but it is a catastrophe unparalleled in human history, and it would almost certainly be the end of modern civilization as we know it. These are real dangers. India and Pakistan, there's fighting every single day on their border in Kashmir. Um, this is a powder keg waiting to explode, and we sit around pretending that this danger doesn't exist at great peril. So I think it's an understanding of these realities that has driven the non-nuclear states to pursue this treaty. And it is an ignorance of these realities that allows the leadership of the nuclear armed states to continue along as though it's reasonable to maintain these gigantic nuclear arsenals and expect that nothing bad is ever going to happen. The person who was talking, this is on Real News with the anchor Aaron Maté, and he's talking to, and the person who expressed this was Ira Halfhand the co-founder and past president of Physicians for Social Responsibility. So, I mean, this is serious stuff, right? Yes, I used to belong to Physicians for Social Responsibility. And while I agree with what the good doctor was talking about, um, it became very political. So it's one party line, and I just don't like rigid thinking. And so I left Physicians for Social Responsibility. But, but the point uh, that he brings up is totally true, as you have been talking about. The, the one concern I have about this kind of talk is hopefully it leads to what he wants, that is level-headed people coming up with policies at the upper echelons where we make these nuclear packs and, and we make peace and all that instead of having people morbidly worried about this and you and I went through it. You, you talked about your experience. I'm a Cold War baby myself. And so who wants to go to all that? I, hopefully we've matured a bit where we see the danger, but we don't freak out and uh, and live our lives in constant fear. I, I just don't see any good coming out of that either. No, I, I don't see good coming out of that. And I, I don't necessarily see good coming out of my concerns over the past week. On the other hand, I don't see any good coming from not doing something about it. Exactly. And so, what, what I've tried to do, as, as you well know, uh, is, de is develop a social network, which I'm just beginning to work on, which will, allow, which will empower people who believe in human and citizen rights to do something about this. And this right is, it's called, you know, certain, the Creator has given us certain inalienable rights, the quote, quote from the de Declaration, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I don't think anything more need to be said about this being under the umbrella of life to try and get rid of these weapons. Yes, I think a, a big step would be to solve this Russia thing. 
again, going back to what you said about liking some things about Trump, I remember him saying once, uh, would it be so bad to be friends with Russia? You know, and it's absolutely, you know, absolutely. That was another thing that I, you know, I, I definitely at the time respected him about. Now he may have gotten all involved with certain financial sure. dealings with sure, Russia, sure. and I'm not. I, I don't like his financial dealings from what I see, but I don't know what's true. But definitely, of course, this is ridiculous to create this. This mirage about uh, electioneering—it's uh, a mirage, not because it, whether it happened or not. It's a mirage because it's not important, and it's dangerous to 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 play games on this level with, right. with a country that's actually w probably willing to to work with us. Oh, absolutely! They they were celebrating with when Trump was elected, and of course, they may have had a hand in it. Who knows? We'll find out. But let me just. Uh, Put out my cards on the table. Okay. Uh, while in college, in the midst of the Cold War, I took Russian. I studied the Russian culture. I read all the major Russian classics. And really? I became fluent in Russian. Oh. Because I didn't buy into this good guy, bad guy, white, black, uh, west, east. It's just impossible. It cannot be that one country is totally good and the other one's totally wrong. It makes no sense. So then the minute uh, Gorbachev, uh, Perestroika, opened Russia, there I went. And I was able to navigate on my own because I spoke Russian. So having said all that, I don't want to sound like a pinko communist saying the Russians are right and the Americans are, are wrong. No, not at all. I'm just looking for a balance. For instance, Sanctions because Russia messes with Crimea and Ukraine, the Ukraine. Are you kidding me? These are countries that used to belong to the same people. It's like us trying to do something with Puerto Rico or Guam and, and then Russia gets mad at us. for Yeah, doing. It's, it's a, it, it is a definitely a, c a conflicted type of thing that from exactly. the outside. Uh, well, let me tell you this, this other thing that's totally outrageous. You know, we talk about Russia meddling with us here in the United States uh, uh, through cyberspace. Did you know that the, during the Russian Revolution, Henry Ford, Roosevelt, and all those big shots gave money to Karl Marx to go fight his battles in Russia? Did you know that the U.S. sent an army to Russia to fight the revolutionaries? Yes, American soldiers on Russian soil fighting against the revolutionaries. Now... Russians remember all this, okay? And we don't hear anything about it. It's all about the United States being right and might. And then we forget that other people have their own arguments. So it's just like a bad marriage where one partner is always right and the other one is always wrong. It just it's not sustainable. And again, I'm not defending Russia. I mean, Putin is no saint. But hey, we can't go around the world punishing heads of state that we don't agree with. Or, or, or spying on them, like we did with, for instance, Merkel, who's a, a yeah, super our ally. Allies. <laughs> our own allies. We, we, we spy on Germany, on France, on England. And, and the citizens, as well as the leaders. I mean, it's just how hypocritical can it be? Exactly. I'm not saying I don't really know about Crimea very well. I know there were a lot of Russian citizens, uh, Russian people there who wanted to to exactly go, to go over, and uh, but I don't think it's what's really at stake here is not that it's that they're, they're that NATO is creating a ring very close to Russia, exactly. which, which is which is being militarized, and exactly. that's why I say we should keep the hell away because the, you cannot just completely discount the fact that that Russia, besides being a nuclear power and whatever, has this sort of territory of influence, and we should be. We should be careful of that because we don't need to destroy the world because we want to set up a puppet government there. Yeah, Nikita Khrushchev on Cuba. We were doing the same thing in Turkey. Yeah. And, and look, the Spanish War, Texas. Texas was full of Americans, you know, from Tennessee, you know, hanging out in Texas. And so we go, we go down and take over Texas because there were so many Americans there. Isn't that the same as Crimea and the Ukraine? Yeah, it's a different. It's a different era. It's an era, if I believe, of manifest destiny, where we were completely conscienceless about what we did. Now we pretend we're not. Yeah, and you know, okay, so we've grown up, but can we allow other countries to grow up at their own pace? Uh, 
Yeah, and, and, and the price of the planet is worth being careful. Exactly. And so we just got to pick our battles. And so I say let the Russians uh, do their thing within reason, of course. You know, we have to draw boundaries. But in their sphere of influence, in their own backyard with their own people, we have no business there. Well, have you ever heard a program, not an incidental program, but a program on radio or television or Internet or whatever, where ordinary Russian people spoke about their lives? No, but you know, I used to hang out with Russians because after I came back from my trip, it was, let me think, 1990, Perestroika was just starting. And so I came back and I wanted to polish up my Russian and hang out with Russians. So I tapped into a Russian community here in Salt Lake City. So I've, 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 I've listened to them. I, I know how they feel. They love America. Um, the Russians love America. They love everything about America. And it's puzzling to them that it's not correspondent or reciprocated. Here's a new folk song by the great UK songwriter Stephanie Slevin. Dr. Rodier is going to give us a little update of some health news of the week. Last week, um, the Salt Lake Tribune on the front cover had an article on Lyme disease and the controversy surrounding it. And they picture this poor, poor woman, young woman, in front of a table covered with supplements. There could have been a hundred bottles on that table. The point of the story is that it's a controversial thing, as you may read on the Internet. Of course, most doctors feel that uh, this is way overdiagnosed. I agree with the good docs. Uh, a lot of people just don't have Lyme's disease. I also agree with the other side, the naturopath, who try to do something uh, for people who end up in coat hanger clinics, if you will, uh, because they need help. But, but I have a more integrative view of the whole thing. I think pastures pastor's words are very much a good thing to remember. It's not the bug, it's the terrain, meaning it's our immune system that might be weakened and then you're vulnerable to any exposure. Right. Think of the millions of people that are exposed to, to the ticks, to ticks that carry Lyme disease and they don't get sick, but other people do. So I, I feel the answer is to strengthen the immune system, particularly in the gut with good nutrition and no more than five supplements that to get the job done if you're able to eat real well. And so an integrative point always in the middle, not so much on the medical side, which will give you a bunch of antibiotics that don't work, not so much on the naturopathic side, which often leads to overconsumption of supplements at the expense of stress to the patient. So that's my view on Lyme disease. Very, very interesting. Thank you very much. 
Here's Zave Nathan's wonderful anthem to love, commitment, and a positive future, a focus sadly lacking nowadays. Is it still possible? I truly think so. Stay strong and keep loving our hearts And we mustn't forsake forget who we are As a future and past are written in the stars Every day of our life we should pray to the sky We are one, we are left Now, Dr. Rodier, MD, is here with us today to discuss various topics from the standpoint of integrative medicine. Integrative medicine is a medical discipline that puts an emphasis on nutrition and lifestyle as critical elements for true health and happiness. All right, Johnny, thanks for having me today. I have a great article here, came out in the journal Science, June 10th, 2016, how the science of repopulating the gut is taken off. That is uh, stool transplants, how people are getting stool transplants. And a whole lot of, do- uh, a lot of doctors are looking at it. A lot of patients are getting it. And they improve in just about every disease. Stool transplants. Stool transplants. What does that mean? Well, it means that they take the stool from a healthy person and put it up the rectum of a, pers- of a person who... <laughs> might not be doing so so hot health-wise. So they call it repopulating the gut. You get it? <laughs> anyway, the science has been there for quite a while. Doctors have been disciplined because they overused it. And overcharged should be the key word. Uh, with a colonoscopy, fiber optics, they would uh, implant the donated stool up the the intestines uh, of uh, the recipient, and the FDA jumped in saying, no, you can only do it for treatment of C. difficile, uh, pesky bacteria in the gut. But really, uh, there are reports that when you do it for just about every other health problem, the recipient improves. Now, why is that? Well, Johnny, in 19, in 1918, uh, no, I think it was 1910, uh, the Nobel Prize was awarded to Dr. Metnikoff for showing that our gut flora is our immune system. And so the better we eat, the better our gut flora will be and the better our immune system will be. Now remember that a whole lot of medical problems are because of poor nutrition and a poor immune system. So if you put two together, you see that the food we eat will optimize the health of the gut flora and thereby optimize our immune system, which also detoxifies chemicals in the environment. In fact, uh, the immune system should be renamed the immunodetoxification system. Very interesting. Yeah. Sure. Well, that is why uh, a lot of chemicals in the environment can be problematic because they can set off your immune system. And this is why anything you put in your mouth, even pharmaceuticals, will be modulated by the gut flora we have. So say you take blood pressure medication, Johnny, and we both take it. Mm -hmm. It will work differently on you than me because of our liver and because of our gut flora. And so this is why it's so, so critical to eat your veggies because these guys, our friendly bacteria, thrive on fiber. And very few Americans are meeting the daily requirements of fiber because they eat so much unrefined food. So if you want a strong immune system, if you want to quit worrying about the Zika virus, then strengthen your immune system by eating your veggies. Well, I got that, and I believe that with all my heart, or with all my gut, whatever. (laughs) For more information about Dr. Rodier's practice, books, blogs, and newsletters, contact Hugo Rodier, MD, at www.hugorodier.com. That's H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R.com. 
This is Johnny Blue Star, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. Threshold Radio is owned by New Galaxy Enterprises, a full-service media content development company. Sponsors not only get ads on the program, but are offered packages including website design, graphics, audio, video, music, and jingles. Programs are archived and continue to be promoted beyond their first broadcast. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.NewGalaxyEnterprises.com and fill out the contact form. This is Johnny Bluestar. We all live very closely or within ourselves to an immense journey of self-discovery and adventure. For humanity, both the wide expanse of stars and the infinitely wider space within ourselves beckon us to make that leap forward. Thank you for making Threshold Radio part of your journey. Be well and keep cosmic.